Seeing Red the Pod, episode 51, where we always discuss the latest Nebraska issues. I'm Stephanie, and here with me today, as always, are April and Melody. Hey, ladies. How's it going? I think I'm a little bit sunburned. I think you're a little bit sunburned, too. I don't think you said that last time. (laughs) I mean, this pasty skin, like, once you put it out in the sun, I'm like, You need a bonnet. red. I was wearing a visor that I got from Disney World that has Minnie Mouse on it. Well, you need you a need little bit that, more. You need like my big pool hat that I wear. Mm-hmm. I know. It's my favorite. The problem, you know what the problem is, ladies. You know what the problem is. Dog. That damn dog <laughs> eats my hat. <laughs> and I can't get anything made out of straw because she loves straw. Ugh. She eats my hat. She's awful. <laughs> Somebody take her. Can maybe get a cowboy hat. Those aren't made mm. out of straw. I don't think it would be more effective than a visor. Mm. Yeah, they don't. E- well, they don't even have a brim. She eats like the corners of ball caps. So, like mm. the ball cap that I really like, it just got it. It almost looks fashioned, you know, like oh, it's a little rugged, and I bought it that way. Except she just ate the corner of it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. So, April, what did you do this weekend? Well, I took a risk, but I took my vaccinated self to Seattle to see a friend Yay! that I haven't been able to see in two years. And literally every adult involved is vac- fully vaccinated. Two weeks or more pass. And uh, Seattle is like, oh my God, it's like this liberal wonderland. Mm-hmm. Like, Listen, we went past an arena. You know, you're like Pinnacle Bank Arena. It was called Climate Plan Arena. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like, Damn. My friend, I was like, you liberal hippies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was amazing. Um, I brought excellent weather with me. So like, you know, rainiest city in the U.S. Not one day of clouds, let alone rain. Whoa. Um, I know. Meanwhile, y'all got snow while I was gone. <laughs> And um, thanks, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you're you. welcome. Uh, <laughs> but um, everybody, it was the weirdest thing culture wise because you know I haven't gone to anywhere, and um, I wore like a real N95 mask and all this, um, and whatever. But everyone there just wears a mask. It's not a big fucking deal. Just do it. And like, I do believe that they have a rule still like a lingering rule that probably needs to go about wearing a mask outside. But here's the thing. I can see why it is a little confusing in Seattle because like when the weather's nice, you're outside and like it's night. It's so perfect there from like May-ish to like September mm-hmm. that, I mean, it's absolutely perfect. It's never too hot and it's never too cold. And so all their windows open and all of the things are outside. 
And so there are more people and more things outside. I could kind of see, you know, more crowds. But anyway, I'm just saying everyone just wore it and it wasn't a big deal. Meanwhile, I got on a shuttle the minute I got out of my car to go to the Omaha airport. And there was a mask hole who I confronted <laughs> and he wouldn't wear his mask. And then the minute I got off the plane, the Omaha airport, the airports were not bad because there's all these like loudspeaker things saying it is a federal offense or whatever to not wear your mask. But people still got to eat and drink, you know, like just because mm-hmm. it takes hours, right? So you can't. Anyways, um, people around Omaha were still kind of scurrying it, like not just in the eating areas and stuff. And I was just trying to stay away from all of them. But in Seattle, it wasn't like that at all. And even on their speakers, they were like, remember, on the speakers, like, everyone must wear a mask. Remember, if you have a gator, it must be doubled up. And bandanas are not allowed. <laughs> like, they're, like, so specific. And everyone's just like, all right, bandana. Okay. Okay. Um, I think there is something to... It, it just shows you, like, it can be done yeah. when you don't live in a place that is governed by assholes. Yep. How now that's wonderful. I don't think this is an asshole thing, but there are some things like, like my friend was telling me, like their city libraries still aren't open. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. can't walk into the library and choose books, especially like for kids. That's really hard. Um, right. Just within like the last month, brought kids back in person to school. Some of these things, I think, have maybe gone too far like i think there is some you know i don't know though because they're a port city they're a port city and people come from around the world to their city with their nasty funky germs so if a library in a tourist destination there's no reason reason to have a a library closed like you can't there's no reason to eat or drink you know what i'm saying like you could Mm -hmm. be in a library our libraries here have time limits you can only be there like an hour or something and um, you have to wear your mask, and they're still limited capacity. No, I totally think it would be. It's not going to be a source see, of major outbreaks. This is what I'm saying. If I was a librarian in a port city where they were constantly bringing in, you know, industry and tourism into my city, and why didn't have my vaccine yet? Like, why but should I have do. to waste people like that? First, they do have their vaccines, and second, tourists. Well, and now they do. Are, Tourists and industry aren't going to the city library. They're just not. Well, you can't what can, you can't do anything at a city library as a tourist. Yeah. I mean, anyway, I can see it. I there are see, some things I could see both sides of that. I think yeah. it is a reasonable space for debate for sure. Yeah, and that's all I, would I agree guess, with that. Is I feel like hearing from my friend who lives there, there's just been literally nothing. I think there is reasonable space for debate, and that definitely sounds like a reasonable space for debate. Should libraries be open? And of course, we live in Nebraska, and we're like, should bars be open? Like, that's <laughs> our level of debate. And it's mm-hmm. so nice to hear that there are cities where the debate is um, its a more reasonable space for debate. Sure. And I really appreciate that. What I am frustrated by is I am frustrated by mask holes because I took my son to track and we're all sitting outside. There's hardly any parents. We're sitting in bleachers and everybody's wearing a mask and I don't want to, but I know if I take my mask off, I look like a mask hole. 
Mm-hmm. But I'm not a math hole. And then at the end of track practice, I left it on all the whole time, even though we know scientifically it doesn't matter. We're not spreading COVID. It's fine. But then, you know, they're handing out T-shirts or whatever. And then there was a guy without a mask and he totally was a mask hole. And I was like, see, this is why I kept my mask on because I don't want to be affiliated with you. And I feel like we don't have space for reasonable debate because right now the people you would be debating are anti-science, anti-vax fascists, you know, (laughs) and that sucks. It sucks. That's the the only way we can have this debate and it sucks. And I was thinking, I read an article where a couple of doctors were kind of debating and one was saying, I think we should tell people when you're vaccinated, you can stop wearing your mask. I think it's a good incentive to get back to normal life. And my only thing was like, I hear what you're saying and it is a good incentive, but we can't just do this in public, at least in like our red state, because there's too many jerks who already don't wear it. And you don't know if they're safe. I have to assume they're not safe for say my unvaccinated kids to be around. And so Absolutely. we can't even that possibility. It's the kids. I, I, mm-hmm. And there's no way I'm going to run around without a mask on when my kid still has to wear hers. Right. But mm-hmm. like, there's so many things our kids can't do yet. Like, I'm not going to lie. I did go to a restaurant. I'm fully vaccinated. The other person's fully vaccinated. And we sat mm-hmm. by an open window because it's Seattle and it's freaking gorgeous. <laughs> and also right. we have dividers between everything. And then, like I said, they're at like 50% capacity. And like when we got in, there was a bar and they're like, do you want to sit at the bar? You'd be the only ones because reduced capacity. <laughs> so we want to be the only people in the whole bar. You know, I will say. The whole bar, I should say. I, will, I want to go back to that library thing. I changed my position. If restaurants and bars are open, they need to open those goddamn libraries. See, this is what I was I'm gonna, I've, I've come around. You have built your case. I've come around. Well, with, like I said, reduced capacity does a lot. You're not even, like you said, a mask. You, you don't even have to take a mask off at a library like you do at a restaurant. No. Mm. And the workers are <laughs> tipped workers. They're yep. paid even less. Um, but they are fully vaccinated as well or have had the opportunity. Mm-hmm. <sighs> anyway. Yeah. Um, so I want to give a little talk about the property tax bill that happened this past week. And like, that I don't want to go gone, into the details. So in. <laughs> well, basically, the governor wants desperately to reduce taxes but the thing is in nebraska we don't have enough money to pay for things that we need to provide as a state so things like you know the proper regulatory oversight to prevent an environmental disaster in mead nebraska um, over an ethanol plant and there was an article published ah was it last week in esquire a national magazine and they were basically like this is textbook what happens when you starve government agencies this is what happens they don't provide the right oversight because they really just can't afford the labor to do it so they just it they're incentivized not to and that's kind of really the thing and so then the governor is now going after the 20 people who did not move the bill and the property tax bill is dead so thankfully we don't have to worry about it anymore uh the filibuster did hold one weird thing that I'll point out 
the senators who voted to end the filibuster, which means they're on the side of the governor on this one for this property tax relief bill, were three surprises, I think. Well, one is McDonald, who is not really a surprise. He's a Democrat, but he always votes Republican, almost always, Mm -hmm. unless it's a union bill. He's only really a Democrat because Republicans want to dismantle unions, and he is the head of the fire union in Omaha. So, but everything else, he's a strong Republican. Um, And then the two surprises for me were Wayne and Vargas. So, I thought that was weird. thought that was weird, but the bill's dead for now, so we don't have to worry about it. And this is at the same time that the governor is pushing for a new prison, and that bill, you know, is moving along. Mm -hmm. So, where does that money come from? (laughs) Where does all this money come from when you're trying to cut taxes? In a state that we cut taxes every year. Yeah. Well, it's coming from schools. That's where the property tax, they want to take it from schools, right? I mean, inadvertently. Right. They're like, how dare we spend so much on schools? And yet, let's build a new prison. Yep. That is, I mean, this is the same thing, right? When we see, oh, how come all the services for children are closed? But bars are still open. I mean, children are always at the very, very end of the priority list. You know, I'm going to say this right now. I... My child played at two different parks this weekend. She wore her mask. There weren't many kids. Um, and I got to tell you, I am still so freaking angry about them closing the freaking parks last year and taking down the swings that I just needed to say that I'm still very angry about it. Well, I am very angry. It was, I was very worried about surfaces. And so I didn't even want to go to a park. But once I learned right. more... I know, but that stayed on for a long time after. Anyway, I just needed to say I'm sorry. Absolutely. Those in, in Lincoln, the kids they getting closed shafted down. because adults can't do what they need oh, to yeah. freaking do. Yes. We're talking about mask. Well, <laughs> I don't know if you guys, if I told you guys this story yet, you know, perhaps I have. But mm-hmm. I got a phone call from my son's preschool because he is not all the way potty trained and he goes to a city program for preschool. And your three-year-old. He didn't get to start it. Yeah, my three-year-old. He's not fully potty trained. And they wouldn't let me put him in a pull-up. And I had said, I will pick him up if you need to change. You know, like, it's fine. He's kind of potty trained. He'll go when the class goes. But I understand the teacher doesn't change diapers. Just call me. Anyway, they told me that he couldn't come back till he was potty trained. Ah, lady, I called the mayor. And mm-hmm. I said, you are not, you are not bending every fucking rule in this goddamn city. And then this is the line in the sand, preschool for a three-year-old. What the, no, no, no. So anyway, long story short, uh, it's a three-day program. And so he was back in school. But <laughs> the very next session, he missed a total of zero preschool because we're not having that. I actually thought I might have to live stream as uh, seeing red and drop him off and be like, I dare you to send him home. I dare you. (laughs) That baby needs preschool and you are not taking that from him while the bars have been open for a whole year. Right. Nope. While you shut down the libraries, the children's museum, the parks, um, the zoo, everything shut down. 
you're not taking them out of preschool over potty training. It's just not a thing that's going to happen. So, so that was fun. (laughs) (laughs) Good time. Um, Okay. I sent this out in our Facebook group, but it, I read an essay. Did you guys read it? It was called, uh, my ambition is to be free and awesome. I, um, and I was blocked or something and I needed to open a different browser to get around and I never got back to it. Mm. It's by Mona El Tahawi is I think how you say her last name, but she wrote uh, seven necessary sins for women and girls, which is a really great book that everyone should read. But she wrote this really great essay and it had these, I've been kind of like thinking about it and thinking about kind of like the work that we are doing in our own like little circle of influences, the work that I see all of my other um, female friends doing. And it's just about how like we often want to tie women's ambitions to what men can do. And it's a really bad yardstick. Hmm. So here's a quote I really liked. It said, I don't want to do anything a man can. My ambition is much bigger than doing whatever a man can. Men are not my yardstick. If men themselves are not free of the ravages of racism, capitalism, and other forms of oppression, it is not enough to say I want to be equal to them or do whatever they can. As long as patriarchy remains unchallenged, men will continue to be the default and the standard against which everything is measured. My ambition is for much more. I want to be free. Wow. Yeah. I, I've just been noodling on it and, you know, thinking about when you think about ambition and this idea that like, I'm going to be the CEO, I'm going to be the president. I'm going to be the top of whatever it is where, you know, often women have ambitions that are, different like those some women do have those ambitions but some women have ambitions like I want to have an amazing garden that I could actually feed my family in the winter I want to raise children that are not bad for humanity when they grow up and out into the world like you know these can be I want to I don't want to have a huge mortgage and I don't want to be paying interest to wall street every single month of my life. Like there's really different um, ambitions that people can have and that don't align and promote, you know, kind of like our patriarchal capitalist society where white men always win. So I don't know. Yeah. I've been really mulling it's that really along. Yeah, here's a different. Um, yeah, here's a different quote that I really liked. It was uh, patriarchy, racism, and capitalist exploitation cannot be solved on a per individual basis by celebrating exceptional cases who survive and thrive despite those systemic oppressions. Feminism is not me and my friends making it through patriarchy's obstacle course to live ever after in a post-feminist heaven. Feminism is not a few women hurtling over the obstacles. Feminism is the destruction of those obstacles that hold back all those other women who are very much mired in the patriarchal fuckery of the here and now. Wow. 
Yeah, oh, I can't it wait to so read good. this. Will you put that book in the yeah. show notes too? The one you were talking about her? Yeah. Own? Yeah, um, The Seven Dead Necessary Sins for Women and Girls. And she's amazing. <laughs> she broke, she came, I think she started her feminist journey after she was sexually assaulted at a religious, I think she was, she was at a religious um, event and she was sexually assaulted and basically nobody cared and nobody protected her. And she was supposed to be doing something which she considered sacred and holy. And she, her body was desecrated and she was hot and mad as anyone would be. And that has started her journey as she's an Egyptian woman. And she just um, has been around the world fighting really big fights for women and girls around the world. Wow. So I just, yeah, I've just been mulling that over and just thinking about that and thinking about this idea, like, well, we have to make sure rich people have money. So children don't have school, you know, like just, I'm just so sick of it. I want off this ride. That's because, that's because they've told us this lie that everything goes to the shitter if the economy collapses <laughs> because of a few rich people who don't give us anything anyway. They don't pay their fucking taxes. Well, they had a, they were doing something and I don't know where the bill ended up, but there was something about renters' rights. And I think it maybe it was the property tax relief bill and landlords would get some sort of relief. And one of the senators had the audacity to say, well, maybe then landlords would lower people's rent. Rents are never lowered. Ever. No. no. All that would happen is the landlord would be like, hell yeah. My property is more profitable than it was yesterday. Yes. This is amazing for me and only for me. Yeah. That's how that works. We know Reaganomics didn't work, folks. Didn't work. And Reagan's dead, and all his policies need to go with him. That has fucked up our country for 40 years. Our whole all lives. gotta go. Uh, literally, literally 1980s, baby. Mm-hmm. Our whole lives. Yep. So, that is not, that is not cool. That's so interesting. Is it really? There's so many times in my life as I you know, grown into the adult I am that I've like, I don't know if I have been comparing myself to women older than myself and on my journey of what success looks like, which would Mm -hmm. explain why I feel so weird that I'm like, I work to live, I don't live to work. (laughs) And why I'm like, I want to buy shit. I'm a wannabe minimalist. I say wannabe because I'm not great at it, but I like, I really do admire that. And I, I have a smaller home than almost everyone I know. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I really don't buy shit, but that's so interesting. Like maybe that's why I've always felt that way because I'm not a man and I haven't thought about it from that perspective. Well, the other thing is just even the idea that minimalism is trendy. That is from marketing companies trying Mm -hmm. to make it okay that basically nobody is paid enough money and they're trying to like make the disparity. Okay. And people Mm -hmm. have to find a way forward and they have to find happiness forward. Even the thing like the tiny house movement, I think people Mm -hmm. that are really into tiny houses 
probably a lot of them think, you know, maybe like, oh, I just really like tiny houses. But our, all of our brains have done a gymnastics where you've just like had to reacclimate to go, you know, I'm not going to um, be able to do some of the things that my grandparents did. Because it's crazy, isn't even it? Even yeah. though they, they, they had less education and they had like lower income p- earning potential um, mm-hmm. and they were lower on the org chart than, you know, maybe me, for example, right? Like, um, but they had a higher quality of life that they could afford. And a hope of retirement or social security. They had yep. pensions. I mean, I'm a mortgage underwriter and I look at people's financial documents and people that are retired that refinance their home, um, if they're retired right this minute, they all have pensions. That's why they don't care. Hmm. Well, they meanwhile, I've been hearing my whole life, if you don't save enough for retirement, you're screwed. But Mm -hmm. these same people with pensions are the ones saying that. They're the ones defunding the pensions. While they mm-hmm. get them. Anyway. Anyway, I just thought her article was really thoughtful and like got me thinking and I don't know. She's and I didn't connect it with the author of the book I had read. I did that mm-hmm. when I was prepping for the pod tonight and like, oh no wonder I really loved her article because I love that book too. Yeah. I read a really good book and now my husband's reading it. And um he, I think he kind of poo-pooed it because I read a lot of, I just like to know a lot of things and I don't think he thought it was a good match for him, but now he's like, this is really interesting. Um, Emily told me about it. Laziness Does Not Exist by Devin Price. And uh, it's so interesting. Um, again, I think I'm not the current norm. <laughs> um, but the you know so many of us Americans have been taught that productivity is the only way to measure your self worth and the author mm-hmm. themselves was an overachiever you know their whole life you know graduating college and graduate school early um, they had to get really really sick like for over a year before they finally decided I gotta change my life. <laughs> And so then they started doing research on this and um, how this whole laziness lie really comes from the Puritans and um, how, especially these days with this digital work that work and life are never really separated anymore, that we work more, as it says here, we work more than any other humans in history, yet most of us often still feel we're not doing enough. And even you guys would like this. There was a part about, you know, like activism. And like reminding us, like you literally can't fight it all. <laughs> you have to pick. Oh, I need to read that. <laughs> yeah. You have to pick something you really, it was very readable. Like I read this on a flight. It was like three hours. Right. And I read like 140 pages and I'm not a speed reader. It's just very easy to digest. Um, and mm-hmm. lots of stories of people who learned this the kind of similar way that she did. Oh my God. And how April, I'm reading the description and it just talks about a side hustle and how literally yes. everyone has a side hustle. PS, yes. MLM, multi-level marketing, a lot of people's side hustles came 
That is from the Reagan administration. I'm telling you, everything bad started with Ronald Reagan. That's when they got like really sleazy, like really sleazy. Because mm-hmm. Ronald Reagan like paved the way for their current model. Oh, right. sorry to cut you off, but keep no, going. No, it's fine. And it definitely presents a certain view. Like there are obviously people who are doing lots of side hustles, and like you were saying, because we've all been lied to that, you know, and that we're all set up to fail because we don't literally I just don't make enough money. I just do but, it because I like buttons. That's, <laughs> That's what I do. But also there is this pervasive message right in our society you know, american society that you're just not doing enough like i said whether it's work or activism or anything oh and yeah it's just it's not sustainable and it's a lie it's a lie we are all working harder than ever the actors like studies oh man i wish i had the book my husband's got it out in the living room <laughs> I think they said like the average worker could get all of their work done in three hours, but we're all have been told. Oh, that's that eight... totally true. Yeah. But I, I mean, I don't know if that was the exact number, but that's what I think. But yet we've all been told like, Oh, it's a great job. If you only have to work eight hours a day, you know, and like, mm-hmm. but why? we don't have to. What? Well, I was listening to, I think it was a planet money podcast. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. But it was about how with all of the automation and computers, it should make humanity's lives like we should have to work less. But really what happens is like less people are offered jobs at less pay. And now you have these like tech billionaires Mm -hmm. and nobody is actually working less, even though we have automated all these amazing things. Like, it didn't work. Well, I do think a lot of jobs, well, we know that, like, a lot of jobs that automation can do, they don't even need humans for. So humans do a lot of jobs that robots But it's not generating, <laughs> but it's not generating wealth for things like yes. craftsmanship and exactly. art and poetry and public... Yes civic you know stuff like you know like we're all participating in technology in Lincoln Nebraska and we're all like I don't know we're like lots of wealth is being generated why don't we have like a bunch of free theaters and a bunch of free like and why aren't we paying more for people who produce really awesome things that aren't necessarily essential, but they make life worth living. They make, it is the richness and the sweetness of being human. And we're just, it's just like, not even, I don't want to specific to Lincoln, but we're, we've just given so much up. And when you go to places like, I don't know, like France, where they get six weeks of vacation and they get, don't yeah. go to work when they're sick and yeah. they go to college for free. And then you mm-hmm. see like, Oh look, they still have like every little town has a bread shop and a cheese shop and a um, dessert shop. And you know, like, because they care about the craftsmanship and we just, we don't, we don't mm-hmm. care about that. We can't care about that because the wealth is being hoarded at the top. Exactly. 
Okay, so this is only sort of related, but I also read this other article. We'll have to put the show notes. I posted it on Facebook a while back. I don't know if you guys saw it. I can't stop thinking about it. It's called Maslow Got It Wrong. Um, Are you guys familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Oh, yeah. Food, shelter, water. Yeah, well, that you need your physiological needs first, food and warmth and security and safety in order to then be able to, you know, um, feel that belonging and love and intimate relationships and then um, your, your other psychological needs, like a sense of accomplishment and meeting your potential is kind of at the top, right? And this article, and I did verify this stuff, um, but apparently Maslow like borrowed this idea and misrepresented um and i'm gonna say this name wrong yeah he got these ideas from the um i'm gonna say it wrong sixika the blackfeet nation um their teachings and of course didn't give credit he spent six weeks in 1938 living with the blackfeet near um alberta canada and wait six weeks did you say six weeks or six six weeks six weeks and he kind of shaped his idea of developmental theory on their teachings and um he got it really wrong (laughs) it's a very different way of thinking um so you really can't compare these apples to apples but here's is what it, it basically is. white man goes to indigenous culture for a very yeah. short period of time, misinterprets everything, takes all the credit. Is that no, not exactly. He was already oh, okay, trying okay. to formulate his developmental theory, and when he went I there, see. he was like, "Oh!" But he kind of took this very different, and in my opinion, much better idea. Um, but then tried to fit it into a European model and it doesn't really work. And this is really interesting to me because oh, in education, we talk Maslow's all the time. And we talk, there's a famous little quip. A lot of people say you can't, you have to Maslow before you can bloom. Bloom's taxonomy of thinking. Like that higher level thinking is hard to do if you're like physiological needs and stuff aren't met. But the whole thing about the Blackfeet was really incredibly different. Like you can hardly even compare them. It's almost amazing to me that he could screw this up so badly. <laughs> mm-hmm. They start the opposite. Like they, they call it their TP. Like, you know, instead of this Maslow's hierarchy, they call it their TP. And on the bottom, the most basic thing is, is self-actualization. Whereas that was at the top of Maslow's. And it's here, you know, in their view, we're each born into the world as a spark of divinity with a great purpose embedded in us. That means we arrive oh. on earth self-actualized. And I'm like, I mean, hell yeah, we it's do. almost like, hell yeah, we do. You don't, you don't have to earn, you don't have to earn like what's special and wonderful right. about you. You just, you, it is yours. I might add, even though this is a sidebar. If you're a Christian, that's what Christianity is supposed to be teaching you as well. That's what Jesus said, that you were born. (laughs) Anyway, um, and then the second level is like belonging. So after you have, you're already born with this divine purpose, the tribe is there 
to love and care for us, to belong. And then only after um, that, then you have your basic needs and safety. A safety. The tribe knows how to live on the land and they use that knowledge and they take care for us and teach us how to feed, house, clothe, and protect. And then the model of education, I'm going to say this wrong, but then there becomes community actualization with the goal that each member of the tribe meets their purpose and has their basic needs met. Like as a tribe, you want each person to feel well. And I'm like, yes, that is exactly what I want. (laughs) That's Mm -hmm. exactly the world I want to live in. And then how um, they continue that perpetually by um, harmony with the land and other people and giving rise to sharing that way of life with the next generation. But I just can't even imagine what our world would be like if we had built our country around those ideals. You know, the ones that are already here. (laughs) Yeah. The idea that your community is, has a duty to care for you and that you are like, you don't have to earn like to be special. Like I just, I love that idea. I love that concept. I mean, I definitely think that's true. And you can tell from the moment a baby is born, you know, if, if anybody has multiple kids, you know, um, they're different. Their very first day on earth, they are all different in these really subtle, weird ways. We're like, huh, that's interesting. You're different. You think all the babies are the same and they're definitely not. They also mentioned another book I haven't read yet, Decolonizing Wealth by Dana Arviso. And um, talked about Native communities. They interviewed Native communities and they were like, here's a quote. They told me they don't have a word for poverty, she said. The closest thing they had as an explanation for poverty was, quote, to be without family, which is basically unheard of. They were saying Mm. it was a foreign concept to them that someone could just be so isolated and so without any sort of a safety net or a family or a sense of kinship that they would be suffering from poverty. Huh. Yeah, that is... uh... Yeah, that is not the foundation of this country, for sure. Like, with colonizing, we immediately were like, oh, um, you work or you die. Mm -hmm. You work or you die. Actually, it's like you work and then you die. (laughs) It's true. There is a part. I was just reading an article in the paper this morning where this woman is... um, she find, she puts gravestones on babies' graves that don't have one, um, and you know, and that was really sweet. But they part they brought in a part where the, apparently there's a part of the cemetery which is what was it called? Oh my gosh, it was so drab. It was very much I don't know, uh, like a home of the friendless or something. Like, basically, when you die alone, this is the part of the cemetery they put you in. I was like, ooh, that's cold. (laughs) It's cold. But I think it speaks volumes to how, like, oh, you died alone. You actually have a part of the cemetery for that, where you go. And we call it that so everybody knows. 
nobody loved you when you died. They'll know that forever every time they see your gravestone, if we even bother to give you one. (laughs) Like shocked by that. Um, I was pretty shocked by it. So, so I don't know. (gasps) Stephanie, are you reading these days? No, no, I, I, you know what? That's totally not true. I'm reading. It's so amazing to my child um, and Harry Potter to my child. So there is reading going on in my life, but not, um, I mean, I would recommend both those books, but not really anything great. I would also recommend It's So Amazing. It's a, <laughs> a reproduction book. And who recommended it to you? <laughs> Our favorite librarian, April. Uh, both my four-year-old, I bought both versions. There's It's So Amazing and It's Not the Stork. And one is for younger kids and one's for a little bit older. But I love them. And my kids, they're just, the three-year-old is looking at the pictures all the time. The eight-year-old is actually reading them. Sometimes they read them together and they discuss kind of what's happening in the picture. My preschooler is obsessed with the bladder and fallopian tubes because they look like giant, like rubber band hands. So (laughs) those are fun. He was also pretty fascinated to see, um, his, where his bladder was. And he's just like really figure out bladder and that water turns into pee. He's thinking about it constantly. So he just opens that page and just studies the bladder in a very just sweet little three-year-old way. Speaking of, I should probably get everyone to bed. Also, it's a, I think you guys need to get your little to bed. My little are in bed. I'm the little that needs to go to bed. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Fair enough. What time do you guys get up in the morning? As no, I just had this conversation. She does get up as late as possible. <laughs> I used to Thanks, take Stephanie, which is fine, which is right. But I used to have to take my kid over there for Zoom every day, and Stephanie, I would be often waking Stephanie. <laughs> which you know, is fine. It's her house. I, I need my. I need my sleep. If I don't get my sleep, I'm not very nice, as it turns out. So I have to get up mm-hmm. so dang early. I hate it. I have to get up at six. Sleep is a coping mechanism. And then, so then, like, everyone else has a normal life. And by nine o'clock, I'm like, but I'm tired. But my one kid is still just barely in bed. And I haven't done anything for myself. But. Oh, gosh. Well, thank you, ladies, as always. Yeah. All right. All right. See you next time. Bye. You've been listening to Seeing Red Nebraska Politics from the Left. Seeing Red is a group blog edited by citizen volunteers and entirely devoted to Nebraska politics. You can support us on Patreon with a $5, $10, or $20 a month donation. Be sure to check us out at seeingrednebraska.com and on Facebook and Instagram. You can also follow us on Twitter at seeingredne or contact us via email at seeingredne at protonmail.com.